Hi, and welcome to Top in Tech. ChatGPT took off at the end of the last year and it showed the potential for generative AI systems to produce human-like, realistic text. And once the dust had settled and once the excitement had settled, it was quickly followed by a string of media stories about what this meant for education amidst headlines about students cheating using ChatGPT. Since then, different educational settings have used their own rules, they've established their own policies, and now even governments are taking a look about the appropriate use of generative AI in education. But to look into this further, Global Council commissioned some polling and some focus group research in the UK to test public attitudes and to drill down whether this really is an issue that matters to the public, and if so, what they think is the appropriate response both by governments but also by universities, schools, and other educational settings. My name is Colin Darcy. I am the regular host of this podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Johnny Luck, who is a senior associate in our London office. And Johnny also leads our analysis on educational policy. And Johnny also oversaw the research that I just mentioned. So Johnny, thank you very much for joining me today. Before we jump into the research that I just mentioned, I wondered whether you might just sketch out for me and for the listeners about what the current policy dynamics are in the UK around generative AI in education. And by generative AI, we mean ChatGPT, BARD, and so on and so forth. Is this something that the government is starting to look at in a serious way? Or is it something where you have observed individual schools and academic institutions really being in the driving seat? Well, thank you, Conan. And I'm absolutely delighted to be in this wonderful podcast and to have the opportunity to really look into this really fascinating subject. And you're right in both ways, in some ways. The UK government is looking at it, and it's fascinating to see how different stakeholders are reacting to this development, given the fact that ChatGBT only came out really in November 2022. So it's moved really fast and a little bit out of the blue. So you can sense that anxiety for people across all different sectors to really react to it, including in the education sector. The government is monitoring it very, very closely. And the Department for Education in March this year, so just a few months ago, published an eight-page guidance on this. But the overall steer has not been excessive. It's not very much about straightforward banning it, but rather to be cautious, to be open-minded, and to really encourage a wider debate on safety. And on safety, the Prime Minister himself has announced the aim of hosting a global summit at the end of the year, which shows the cross-border nature generative AI in education and other sectors. There are other groups as well that are looking closely into this phenomenon. The Joint Council for Qualifications, for example, it's an organization that covers many exam bodies in schools. They've also published guidance for teachers and exam centers on protecting the integrity of qualifications in the context of generative AI use. For example, trying to make sure that teachers and exam centers are supported in detecting malpractice. And at universities, again, universities tend to control their own policies on that. But groups such as the Russell Group are also providing high-level stairs. So there's a lot of like caution, but there's also a bit of optimism in the debate, the potential to improve education, the potential to make administrative burdens easier. But the debate is ongoing. The rules are still being formed as we speak. So it sounds like there might be a slight gap between where some of the media discussion has been around this, at least earlier in the year when it was really, really topical, and what the policy and educational establishments are thinking about this, which sounds cautious, but also optimistic by the way that you've just depicted that, Johnny. And where the government's looking to get involved, it's not in a hard regulatory sense. It's more one where they are looking to provide guidance and advice 
to educational settings about how they think about deploying that, I guess, both on the, the pupil side, but also on the uh, teacher side as well. So let's jump into the research analysis that we commissioned. And I'd like to just get a sense for levels of public familiarity towards chat GPT and generative AI. As someone who works in tech policy, you hear chat GPT all the time. You hear about generative AI all the time. So you, you have a slight assumption that everyone knows it and everyone's used it and everyone's tried it. So it would be great to understand whether that is in fact the case and whether it is indeed and other tools well known and well used by the public. Great question, because we do often live in that bubble, right? Because we're our industry watches. We did our research, which targeted both marginal swing voters in key seats, as well as an online survey. And what we found is that actually the majority of people are still not familiar with this technology. But having said that, three in 10 voters in our survey have used this kind of tool or, or similar tools, uh, which does show, despite the fact that it's not yet the majority, there has been phenomenal growth in, in this area and it will continue to grow as applications widen, especially if more schools or state-run establishments adopt it, both in education or in other sectors such as in health. Uh, so the usage is getting broader. At the moment, the wider interest tends to be for younger adults under 34. We have over half of people under 34 that seem to have awareness or use of generative AI. London residents, so probably urban areas, would I suspect be more adopting this tech. And uh, interesting ethnic minorities as well. So it's growing from this base. We tend to find that once you hit a certain threshold, then the majority will start learning about it more and more. But for now, there's still some pockets of low public awareness. There is consequences to that because without a broad understanding of generative AI, there is risk of misunderstanding the potential risk and benefits. Certainly when we did this in focus groups, there was a lot of talk about the Terminator movie and things like that. And so it's really important to get into the front row of understanding their concerns and find ways to um, alleviate those concerns or to actually address those concerns directly as necessary. So yeah, the confidence towards advanced AI are mixed so far, but it will change as we uh, continue to see this technology adopted more broadly. I think the half of young people having used or being familiar with generative AI tools within what, six, seven months, I think is when we did the research of six, seven months of when ChatGPT launched is pretty staggering. Yes. I mean, I totally take the point you make that there is these pockets and you know, it's often not the younger people who are feeding through more directly into the attitudes of politicians and policymakers. Often that is older groups and the concerns that they have. But still, nevertheless, isn't it, you know, if you're an open AI or in Google or Microsoft, those are incredible figures in, in uptake. Something rarely seen, I think, for uh, the launch of a new platform. So we've got a mixed picture, as you put out, Johnny. What do we think the public actually think about Gentive AI, though, in education specifically, so let's start with the, the concerns. Are there obvious areas that came out that you think the public are worried about? Yes. Yeah, so what we did in our, in our polling is we provided a range of different potential concerns and we checked how those individuals reacted to that. And there are concerns. There's a particular large amount of people who are worried about hindering students' learning. So I could presume dumbing down on the way education is being taught, that there's a shortcut to learning through generative AI over like about 45%, about 40% of respondents were worried about making it harder to assess ability. And that's a very timely thing to say because we're recording the podcast on the day of A-level results. So how do you assess someone fairly if there's uncertainty in how they achieve those results, right? And then of course, the one that gets a lot of the headlines is cheating. 
students could cheat using this technology, especially in essay-based assessments, coursework, et cetera. And about 39% of people worried about that. And then beyond that, there's a few concerns that scattered. There isn't a necessary one that leads to front, but things such as job losses in education, learning the wrong things, exposure to harmful views, and then very tricky issues such as intellectual property, because of course, gender AI creates novel material, but how do they source it? How do they do the citation? That area is still very underdeveloped and that could be a, a very messy area. So there is a lot of public worries that's scattered across a wide range of areas, which means that, again, people who are in this space need to pay close attention to that and see if, if that trend continues and if there are ways to alleviate that. The clear message that seems to come through to me from what you've just said there, Johnny, is a concern about quality of education. So whether that's around cheating, assessments, around the quality of the learning students have, it's all essentially boiling back to, is the technology helping education in a positive direction or is it actually undercutting either through allowing shortcuts from it or indeed a lower quality of information that is being used by people um, from the tools? But let's flip it around. So we don't just want to be negative about this. And there's often a temptation in our line of business that you always look at the risks and you would look at the concerns. So let's look at what people thought were positive perceived benefits of Gentive AI. Where did they stand? This was a very interesting question and response when we posed that. And again, and this highlights the challenge of the public who may not necessarily understand Gen AI in a natural way. Because the reality was that it took a little bit of prompting for respondents to react to this question, not necessarily because they were very negative towards Gen AI. In fact, the views were mixed in general, but because it just it maybe articulate some of those ideas without some kind of reference point. So but when prompted, 38% of respondents were optimistic about helping teachers free up uh, time to teach in the front line and reduce the admin. So presumably that could include making lesson plans, finding new ways to engage with young people. People were optimistic about reducing the cost of tuition. So that was 30% positive about that. I, I presume what that might mean is a tuition for, let's say, doing studying or for exam, et cetera, can be quite expensive in a physical form. So if there is a way to have a cheaper alternative to democratize the way people learn to supplement their curriculum, I think that is perceived very positively. And then other areas that seem quite promising, including a tailored approach to child's ability, that could include, for example, students who have learning difficulties or, or language barriers. Being able to have a technology at, at an age that can help provide help for that is very appealing. And of course, another area that is very promising is the fact that this technology isn't going away. Right? If anything, Gen AI is going to permeate across all sectors and it's only going to accelerate. And so there is an acknowledgement by a, a considerable amount of people in our survey that we have to learn and embrace tech technology. And the best way to do that is to expose this tech early in the school learning cycle. So to me, these findings highlight how important it is for the advocates of generative AI to explain the wider public interest in its deployment. Because at the moment, it's still quite nascent. There's an instinct that maybe there's something out there, but they can't quite articulate those benefits yet. And to me, that suggests that there's a lot more to do from both the policymakers and to those technology makers to really articulate better what the benefits are and to show and demonstrate more evidence, case studies, trials to really show the benefits there. Because otherwise, over a quarter of our surveys actually could not quite 
articulate a significant benefit. And I suspect it's because there's the lack of engagement there. A lot of what you said resonates with, we did a long three-hour citizens jury focus group last week. We did that on generative AI, not on education as such, but more broadly. And we focused in on financial services. We focused in on healthcare. And when you talk about freeing up teachers by reducing admin, there was a lot of support for that in the focus group, particularly with regards to the National Health Service and for freeing up the time of nurses and doctors and other medical staff. And on that point you made about reducing costs for tuition, that was a really popular idea. So particularly when it came to reducing costs for financial advice and cutting out financial advisors or cutting the cost for uh, legal advice by a solicitor's or other uh, legal support, that was hugely popular within public. So you can see those consistent themes across different sectors that are playing out. Let's move on to regulation, Johnny. We sort of started there where, with my introduction. Were there particularly formed views from the public on whether we should have regulation or self-regulation, how generative AI is deployed in educational settings, or indeed, were there specific areas where we could see greater support for regulation or, or less? So I would say overall, there isn't necessarily a massive type to straight up ban generative AI, but it's all about detail. It's about how you apply it. And so when we pose it in different use cases, then the support level starts to vary a little bit. So translation, for example, is one area where generally people seem to have more trust in it being used in, a, in an appropriate way. And so there, nearly a quarter of respondents did not suggest any source of regulation at all, any sorts of restrictions. Well, uh, over 32% said maybe a little bit of restrictions required and only 7% want to prohibit something like that. But on the other side of the point, producing a first draft for students, which I think touches on the issues of fairness and learning and assessments and cheating, 32% of, of respondents think that should be banned while only 7% believe there should be no restriction. And then between that, practice questions, lesson planning, new creative methods of teaching, that's a bit more middling with the majority saying that maybe there should be some restrictions. And I think that touches on how the government and indeed many educational establishments are responding to it, which is really to focus on guidance, to focus on clarification on when you can use something and when it's not recommended. Because the reality is that the use case and the way that generative AI can be applied in a learning setting is extremely varied and it's quite hard to predict how it would work. And indeed, if you do ban a technology like that, how would it work in practice? It can get really tricky, really fast, given the fact that people having access to laptops and Wi-Fi has really exploded over the last decade. And indeed, during the pandemic, many schools now have even more laptops or access to technology and before. So policymakers and those who set the rules and regulators are very mindful of being realistic. And bear in mind, the sector itself is already under quite a lot of strain. It's got a lot of different things to work on. They still are trying to catch up on post the pandemic. There's already enough work to do. And so if there's a way to make education more accessible or better, then I think the regulators are minded to at least give it a chance and then if, if necessary, tighten the rules a bit further. Uh, but again, I, I make the, the same point, which is that I think this debate is still ongoing. There's a huge amount of advocacy work to be done to shift it because the dangers are that if the stories go the negative way, then I can definitely imagine a situation where there'll be more demand for tough restrictions on this technology. And that will have huge consequences on how businesses can work with different sectors, including the state sector 
on generative AI, which could be a missed opportunity. So looking at it from that perspective, then Johnny, from the perspective of businesses who are trying to deploy generative AI, try to sell it essentially to governments and to educational establishments, to those schools, those universities, those colleges that are excited about the potential of the technology and want to use it. So essentially this broad group of advocates for generative AI. What would you say is the lesson you have there? Is it what you were alluding to at the end? Essentially prepare the ground now because there could be a change in opinion either by the public or indeed by policymakers that shifts the dial a bit here and brings in a, a more difficult landscape for deploying this technology within education? Indeed. I mean, this is such a great question. I suppose the key is that we're still at a really, really early stages of this technology. And so we don't know the stories or the issues that could come up. And that's despite the last few months where it feels like there's a massive growth of awareness and media attention. And you can see that occasionally the media will swing from a narrative of positivity to the narrative of negativity there really is a huge amount more to go on this. And I think from our research, the public are still very open to hearing more. We did not get a majority that are against or majority a pro, right? People were, were generally unsure. And so in some ways, the stakes are very high because once you do firm up those opinions, it can get quite hard to reframe the issues. In that vein, this means there's a particular responsibility for organizations involved in this space to proactively engage and produce content and technologies that anticipate concerns from the public, including ensuring that generative AI is used in an ethical way, in, in a way that doesn't create unintended consequences. And it's all about transparency, reacting quickly and proactively to problems, and also not over-promising the world's solutions that could disappoint stakeholders. Because if the sector doesn't do that, we can definitely see a situation where there would be backlash against generative AI in a vulnerable setting, such as in education. And the thing is, there's already vehicles for lawmakers to potentially tighten the screw. So I'll just give one example, which is that last year, the government passed a new law, the Skills in Post-16 Education. And among many of its provisions, one of it was to ban essay mills. And that is paid essay services. That was done under a assumption and a generation of, of more like a physical people literally writing an essay for you rather than ChatGPT. Now, if the debate hardens on things like ChatGPT or generative AI, I can totally imagine a situation where lawmakers will go back to a law like that and tighten the screws a bit further. On the other hand, if people see that the generative AI is, is one of opportunity, one that can help learn, then they might even amend that provision to make it easier for technology companies to supplement children's learning. So really, it's all to play for. There are vehicles for lawmakers to quite quickly react positively or negatively. And now that there's a general election looming next year as well, lawmakers are in the market to be engaged because they themselves are learning in the same pace that we are on what to do with this technology. And I think with the thought leadership, and the debate and engagement with policymakers that's happening all the time, there is certainly an opportunity there to, to make a positive case if done correctly. And I'm sure GC, we're all always here to help with that. Well, thank you, Johnny. That's been a fascinating trip through where the policy landscape is, what we think the public has attitudes towards these issues and what that then means, particularly for businesses who are looking to deploy these technologies. So thank you for taking us through that. We are commissioning 
other research that's going to be published in November, which will look at wider public, but also policymaker and regulator attitudes towards gender AI more broadly, and to try and chart the medium term regulatory landscape over the next two to five years for gender AI in the US, in the UK and the European Union. So keep your eyes peeled for updates from that and we'll keep you posted as we do so. But thank you for joining us today. If you want more details about Johnny or indeed the wider bunch of GC colleagues who are working on education policy, please go to www.global-council.com or look at the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for joining us and see you next week. Bye-bye.